0: like to go to Matthew chapter 28 to introduce our thoughts this morning we've been trying to go through the book of Acts and examine God's pattern for a thriving kingdom and one of the most important attributes of a kingdom that is growing and expanding to the glory of God is a church that is focused on externally preaching publicly the word of God and I think that's something that we've lost sight of our eye has not been single in the church is that we have lost focus on the obligation to have an external focus in preaching the word now the apostle Paul when he was preaching to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 He said, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. So as ministers preach and teach, as we see in the book of Acts, both publicly and from house to house, you have more public messages and you're interacting with people outside the church and those that are not currently baptized believers. And then there's an application and a period in which we minister to those, teaching them in, in that day. The church was in the home, right? So teaching them in the home, we teach both publicly and from house to house, and he said that I've not shunned unto you declare the whole counsel of God. So those that are already baptized, you have a more broad, diverse <laughs> preaching and teaching that we address on Sunday morning, okay? We're going to see... That the focus as we interact with those outside the church should be on Jesus Christ him crucified and then also him resurrected okay it's focused on Christ and his death burial and resurrection but as we preach and teach inside the church there's a more broad teaching for those that already understand that Jesus is the Christ and have been baptized right we preach about prayer and fasting and discipleship and belief and justification by faith and sanctification and all these things, but that's declaring the whole counsel of God to those that are already baptized. But the main focus of the book of Acts is not worship services. Right? When you read the book of Acts, you don't see a focus upon Sunday morning worship services. It's all externally preaching to those That are not in the church. And as a little humorous little side note that I've been thinking about this week, one of the uh, few worship services in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 20, where he's in Troas and they met together on the first day of the week. And that was when Paul was preaching to midnight, if you remember that, and somebody dropped over and fell dead, and then Paul promptly resurrected him, and then they kept on preaching. But also, when he says preaching there, that's a word that describes dialogue. I don't think, you know, they're just like you. They're not going to sit and listen to one man have a monologue all the way to midnight, right? No, it was a dialogue. It was a discussion. They were discussing God's word, uh, as we might call it today, hard-shelling. They were just discussing God's word together. That's one of the few examples of a worship service that we have in the book of acts and it's kind of interesting that they went all the way to midnight right we worship i'm kind enough to only preach to y'all for about an hour you know i, I used to be 45 minutes but now it's closer okay. to an hour right I, I y'all are so patient with me uh going to about 12 10 nowadays but um <clears throat> they went all the way to midnight so you're welcome <laughs> for for uh, not being too biblical uh, in preaching and teaching. But, but the, uh, focus of the book of Acts though. Okay. That's what I want us to understand. The focus of the book of Acts is about externally interacting with those who don't agree with you. Okay. And that's hard. Let's just go ahead and get down to brass tacks. I mean, it's hard for me. I mean, I'm a timid soul by nature (laughs) and it's not easy for me to approach Others that I know, or at least I think in my mind, probably are going to have a different opinion originally of Jesus Christ or of salvation by grace or uh, just the things that we believe and we teach. It's difficult to go out of your way. It's It's easy to have a great time of public worship on Sunday morning with people that we love and that we know agree with us. And we can all relish the gospel of salvation by grace alone together. That's easy. That's easy. That's just an a, a encouragement uh, and a recharging for us to go out and give us strength to interact with those that don't agree with us. And that's why it's so important that we don't forsake like the assembling of ourselves together because if you're going out and doing that, you can kind of get wore down in the middle of the week. That's why you got to show back up on Sunday to get recharged, okay? But the way that God's intended pattern for the advancement of his kingdom and the growth of his church is a commitment, a focus, a zeal, a desire, a love really, for preaching the word of God to those that are not currently in the church, and I think we've lost sight of that because one of the worst problems that we have in the Primitive Baptist Church is trying, being afraid of being perceived of looking like somebody else that's, that's doing things in an incorrect way. And we want to first lay the foundation of the purpose of the gospel, remind you of that, that the gospel is not the means of gaining eternal salvation. It's the gospel, uh, the, the purpose of informing God's children of what God has already done for them and the finished work of salvation and bringing life and immortality to light. But just because other people do things wrong doesn't mean that we, we don't do them right, okay? <laughs> That's something we need to understand, okay? That's something we've really struggled with in the church. Just because other people do things incorrectly doesn't mean that we cease from doing things right according to Scripture, Okay? So right before Jesus, you you can, uh, these closing verses in these gospels, you can line them up almost exactly with the beginning of the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. So they're describing the same conversations, the same events, right before Jesus ascends back up into heaven. So here in Matthew chapter 28, and we know these verses very well, right? Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 Jesus came and spake unto them all powers given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, maybe you kind of miss the obvious, like I did for many times. Many times that I've read this and thinking about it, the obvious implication is that you are teaching those that are not baptized. Right? You're not teaching the church. Now, there's a place for that, right? We need to feed the lambs and feed the sheep and strengthen those that are already baptized. But what this verse is saying is you go and teach people that are not currently members of the church for the purpose of them hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and being baptized and being a solid, steadfast member of the church. That is our commission. That's our commission. Now, I'm going to focus primarily on the ministry today, okay? So I'm focusing primarily on me, all right? And anyone, any other minister that may listen to this. But we're also going to get, in weeks to come, Lord willing, about the expansion of the kingdom, particularly from the beginning of Acts chapter 8, as we've mentioned in previous weeks, that those that were scattered went everywhere preaching the gospel. So we're going to get to y'all, okay? Personal relationship evangelism. We're going to get to y'all. But today is focusing on the ministry. Today is focusing primarily on the God-called preacher's responsibility to set the example and to set the tone and to be leaders in preaching to those outside of the baptized members of the church. Because that's our responsibility. That's our calling. And that's how God expands his kingdom. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In my mind, God, who is all-wise and has perfect knowledge, um, always chooses the best path for everything, his will is good, acceptable, and perfect in all things, it seems very inefficient for God to have chosen to entrust his gospel to earthen vessels and sinners just like just like y'all, men of like passion, right? It seems, you know, I say this with all the reverence in the world, but it's a scriptural term that the Holy Spirit put right here. Verse 21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that... Bo- I mean, it seems a little inefficient, right? <laughs> For the Lord to have not entrusted this to angels, you know? Uh, Angels would get it right all the time. Angels would not mess up in our speech. Angels would not incorrectly say the wrong verses and, and scripture references and confuse people. And they would not, again, be subject to like passions and pastoring and making mistakes in judgment and mistakes in speech. But instead, it pleased God. (laughs) Now, one of the reasons why is because we're men of like passions, because we are earthen vessels. And it's in that earthen vessel that when you see a preacher and you see a pastor and you see that he's a a sinner just like you are, and then you see the Spirit move in him to preach the gospel and demonstration of the Spirit and power, the hope is, is that he doesn't get any credit for it? Now, that's part of the reason, probably, why the Lord gave this this uh, gospel to sinners, just like you and just like me, to preach it. Is so that when you really know them, <laughs> right? When you really get to know them and you really know all their shortcomings, they may have some straight, but you but you know all their shortcomings too. You know all their weaknesses, and when the Lord really moves and preaches. You understand, man, it's not him, right? But Paul says to the Corinthian church, I didn't come before you with enticing words of man's wisdom, because, you know, if I did, you may put too much credit on me, which unfortunately, the Corinthians church, they did anyway, right? Dividing between Paul and Apollos and all this stuff. Uh, but it pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And I had that thought yesterday just so heavily sink down on my on my heart. I cannot believe that it pleased God to pick me. Like why? Like that's foolish. Like I know me. I know me better than you know me. It's foolish for God to have entrusted this gospel to me. And I but with that understanding that God viewed me as trustworthy, I want to do the very best I can Mm -hmm. to be a good steward of what I've been entrusted with. Mm -hmm. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now y'all know these verses, so you don't have to turn there, but just listen to them because we need to, be reminded of them in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. We are saved eternally to heaven by the sovereign grace of God. And then God has called men, God, God has performed the work of reconciliation and then he's given us the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation to tell other people about it. But now that is a reality that God chose us in Christ before the world began and Christ finished the work of salvation on the cross But now there is light and illumination that comes through the preaching of the gospel, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're not born again by the gospel. It's not an offer of eternal salvation that if you believe, then you can start out that prayer going to hell and end that prayer going to heaven. But listen, there is salvation in the gospel. And again, we're uh, afraid of, of using the wrong terms and being, uh, being misinterpreted. But I want to tell you, God ordained the preaching of the gospel to save souls to save souls from despair, from bondage. Think about those people that in that first century that were dealing with these people that were trying to commingle the law and the gospel and they were saying, "Yeah, you're saved by Jesus, but you got to obey the law. But you got to be circumcised." And they dealt with that in Acts chapter 15 and they said, "Listen. Why are you putting a yoke of bondage on the on the neck of the disciples that they were never intended to bear?" And what happens when you receive hear and believe the true gospel of salvation by god's sovereign grace alone and you believe that boy there is a bondage of your works that you are liberated from and i'll tell you if you've ever felt that boy it's a salve it's a deliverance A salvation is a deliverance and so many of god's children are walking around with that yoke of bondage around their neck and boy it's weighing down their souls and you know, it says there in Acts chapter 2, after, after Peter preached publicly the gospel, that yes, it is true that 3,000 people were added to the church, but it says that 3,000 souls were added to the church. 3,000 souls were added to the church. They weren't added to the roll of books of heaven, but there were 3,000 souls that now receive the salvation that we have in baptism that talks about in 1st Peter chapter 3 not putting away the filth of the flesh but baptism does now save us the answer of a good conscience toward God and I want to tell you there were 3,000 souls saved on the day of Pentecost it had nothing to do with heaven but boy it had everything to do with the kingdom okay it had everything to do With the kingdom. For the preaching of the cross, first of all, is to them that perish foolishness. First of all, you have to be born again to have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to be able to hear the Word of God and to understand it. And if you have not already been born again, if you have not already been saved, it's foolishness to the world, right? We have this clear distinction in the book of Acts between those that are pricked in the heart and those that are cut to the heart. And, and by the way, you want to know why it's so scary, why it's so difficult to, to have the boldness to preach the word of God to those who you don't think agree with you? Is because there, there may be some, and there will be if we're diligent, I believe, and the Lord's spirit is moving and putting us in the right place at the right time and opening doors. I think that there are going to be people who's like Lydia, whose heart the Lord has already opened that are going to be pricked in the heart that will receive that but you want to know the other danger of that Do you remember when we went over the book of acts everywhere this is the pattern everywhere they go this is the pattern they preach publicly the word of god some people believe many are indifferent and there's also a very small group that hate it and persecute the church so you're going to have some whose hearts have already been tendered and they're going to receive that powerful deliverance of the word of God but then you're going to have other people that are cut to the heart and you know what it's a whole lot easier to stay in my safe little bubble and you know what yeah I know, yeah I know there's children of God out there that need the gospel but you know what I can't protect myself from those who may you know do I really want to be those that are cut to the heart gnashed on Stephen with their teeth are those really the kind of interactions I want to have with people Paul said, I'm willing to endure that. Why am I willing to endure that? I'm willing to endure all things for the elect's sake. You know, I'm okay. I'm willing to deal with the negatives because of the great joy that the elect can have through understanding what Christ has already done for them. And that's a trade-off we just have to be willing to make. Let's Let's just get real. We have to be willing to be... A fool for Christ's sake. We have to be willing to interact with people that are not going to like us for the purpose that more people can be added to the kingdom. Because what we can't do is what we've been doing in the Primitive Baptist Church for uh, tens of, uh, for the last half century, is that all we ever do is come to church, talk to people who are already baptized, go home, don't evangelize through the rest of the week, and for some reason we're wondering why our churches aren't thriving. We can't continue to do the same thing. We have to be willing to interact with others outside of the church for the purpose of advancement of God's kingdom, okay? With the understanding that it can only be successful to those that have already been born again. Like we talked about last week, we have to wait on the Holy Ghost. We can't outwork the Holy Ghost. We can't go ahead of it. None of it matters unless the Lord has already worked in their heart. Preaching of the cross is then the perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. <clears throat> Verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that belief. This is God's ordained means of bringing people into the kingdom, repentance and baptism and growing the church. The preaching of the gospel is God's ordained means of growing his kingdom. Verse 22, For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness but unto them which are called, those that are saved, verse 18, those that are called, right here, those that are, whose heart the Lord has already opened, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, to those that are called, Christ the power of God. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 describes the preaching of the gospel. Paul says here, I am a debtor, verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. He preaches in Acts chapter 17 when he's on Mars Hill. God has called all men everywhere to repent. I'm a debtor to everybody. I'm not a debtor just to Gentiles. I'm not a debtor just to Jews. God has called all men everywhere to repent, and I'm a debtor to every one of them. And and that's the reality of when God has called... Men into the ministry God has laid for lack of a better term a mortgage on our shoulders that it is our obligation and debt to repay now it's a joy in doing it you know Uh, paying your debts may not be that joyful but you know what this is a joyful privilege to pay down the debt that I've been given I'm a debtor I'm a debtor to preach the gospel and you know what? I'm going to give it the very best I have. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, every ounce that I have should be poured out, not in my secular career, every ounce that I have should be poured out in the gospel and in the kingdom. I love the depiction of, uh, I, I like to read these verses very often. The, the apostle Paul is writing his last few chapters, his last few verses in inspired scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand, verse 6, that word offered means a drink offering, and he said, I've lived my life as a poured out drink offering for the kingdom, and now I'm ready to, res- I've, poured, I've poured out my life and there's a couple drops left, and I'm ready to pour out these last few drops the same way that I poured out myself throughout my entire life. That is our responsibility in the ministry, is to be fully poured out as a drink offering, not for our own personal advancement, not to receive promotions in our secular career. We are supposed to be poured out solely for the kingdom and for the gospel, okay? And he said, I've lived my whole life being poured out for the kingdom, and now I'm ready to pour out the last little bit of drops that the Lord has in my cup. I'm ready to be offered. I want to live my last days the same way I've lived the rest of my life, which is being fully poured out for the gospel, So he says in verse 15, there back in Romans chapter 1, as much as in me is, as everything I got, everything I have, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The word power means dynamite. And you want to you know what the book of Acts is? The book of Acts is a chronicle of the exploding dynamite power of the gospel everywhere it goes. Right? Right? If you read the book of Acts, every single place that they went to and they preached the gospel, former ways of doing things, former lives got blown up. That's what the book of Acts is. It's a whole bunch of dynamite explosions everywhere he went by the preaching of the gospel. And that's how it should be in the kingdom today as well. Let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, are these people in need of heaven? No. Why? Because they already have a zeal of God. But bless their heart, these Jews, they're trying to fit the gospel within their own preconceived notions of a works-based law salvation. And you want to know what it's doing? Number one, it's causing a great bondage in their life. But the reason why the gospel is so important, yes, it blesses our heart to to be baptized and to feel the power of that salvation and deliverance and the answer of a good conscience toward God. But at the end of the day, any gospel short of salvation by God's sovereign grace alone steals the glory of Christ, okay? And he's saying, listen, these Jews, they don't understand it. They don't understand what they're doing. They're being ignorant of God's righteousness and they're going about to establish their own righteousness and they have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. And he goes on to say, you know, these are people that already have a zeal of God. They already have a desire to serve God, but they don't have the right knowledge and information to serve God in the right way. You know, we're we're called to uh, worship God in spirit and in truth. There's a lot of people that got all the spirit in the world, but they don't have any truth to calibrate that spirit. They don't have the information to know how to channel that zeal. And that's what the gospel does, right? It gives you the truth, to go along with the spirit that you have. And he says, these people, they already have faith. It's just being worked out the wrong way. (laughs) You know? We already have faith in our heart at the new birth. And he tells you to work out what God's worked in. The problem is, they just don't have enough head knowledge to work out the faith the right way. So he says right here in verse 8, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of faith is already sitting in their heart but they just don't have enough knowledge in the gospel to work it out in the right way. So therefore, what's God, God's ordained means of helping people that are in ignorance that don't know any better? What's his, what's his ordained means of giving them knowledge? The gospel, right? And God's so good, he says a little bit later on, you know, how do people know about this? Yes, yes, well we need to read verse nine first. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from ignorance. Verse 3, verse 11, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You're saved from shame. You're saved saved from when you go in the, the waters of baptism and you go from a conviction and a burden of conscience to now you have the answer of a good conscience. You're saved from that yoke of bondage and now all of a sudden you're saved to this beautiful peace that passes all understanding and the answer of a good conscience. Now, how are people gonna know about this? How are people gonna know what about Christ's righteousness? How are they gonna know about it? Well, that, that's a valid question, right? So, what does the scripture say? Verse 14 How can they call on him and who they not believed? How should they believe in him and who they not heard? How are these children of God that are already born again, that are serving God? In ignorance, with the base of knowledge that they have, but they're doing it the wrong way because they don't know any better, how are they gonna know better? How are they gonna know the gospel? How are they gonna know the truth? (coughs) How shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace that bring good tidings of good things. Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, do you receive faith by the hearing of the gospel? Well, no, faith is for the spirit, right? Galatians chapter five and verse 22. But what he's saying is he's talking to people who already have faith in their heart, right? They already have faith. The problem is they're working out of active faith is going about it all in the wrong way. So he's saying, you're... Faith to be channeled, your active faith to be worked out in the right way, you're only gonna do that if you've heard the preaching of the word of God, okay? So that's the baseline understanding that the gospel is not the means of regeneration. The gospel is not the means of saving people to heaven. The gospel is to give God's children that have already been tendered in their heart by the new birth, to give them the knowledge to press into the kingdom, to repent and be baptized, to have the answer of a good conscience, and so that they can say, along with what Jonah finally came to in the whale's belly, that salvation is not of my prayer, salvation is not of my faith, salvation is not of my works, salvation is of the Lord, right? It's solely by God's sovereign grace. And God's glorified when God's children profess that publicly. And that's our obligation. That's our obligation is to have a burden. And Paul looked at these. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now. to be. Has the gospel been a blessing to you in, to you in your life? Have you received peace and comfort and assurance to know that regardless of my mistakes, regardless of my sins, regardless of uh, the loss of loved ones, I mean, doesn't, isn't the gospel so important when we have loved ones pass away that that is our, our foundation, that we can say, according to Scripture, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we see people make mistakes and get deceived, and take their own life. We can look on the foundation of Scripture and say, if they're among God's children, there's nothing that can pluck them out of the hand of the Father. Those are the kind of foundational truths that you have to have. And you want to know how people know that? They don't just pop in their head. They know it by the Word of God, by the preaching of the Word of God. And those are the kind of bedrock foundations that they are only going to have if somebody tells them about it, okay? Okay. Let's go to, let's go ahead and go to the book of Acts. And I want to go through here and just highlight for you. This is the pattern of the whole book of Acts, okay? And we're not going to be able to go to every city and every section of scripture. But the pattern of the book of Acts, the advancement of the kingdom, is that God called men are moved by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel publicly and boldly to those outside of baptized believers. The Holy Spirit tenders the hearts of some and they join the church. The majority are indifferent, and you have other people who are cut to the heart and persecute the preachers. That's the general outline of the book of Acts. But everywhere they went, they preach the gospel everywhere and our desire should be when you see a child of God that's walking around with that yoke of bondage around around their neck you know when you see a child of God that you see them exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and you have a conversation with them that's saying well you know I I don't know if I'm really saved I mean I, I thought I prayed a prayer so many years ago I thought I did this I thought I did that And they're walking around doubting if they're really a child of God. Listen, the only person that's going to ever have that doubt is a born-again child of God. That's going to go to heaven. The only person that can have that doubt, you see. And I want you to understand that when you have those conversations with people that are struggling, that you have the message to lift that yoke of bondage off of their neck and to save their soul. You have the message to do that. Now, are all of them going to receive it? No. Might you have a little bit of friction in that relationship by you being willing to share the gospel? Possibly. But we're not called to just stay in our comfort zone. That's not what we're called to. We're called to advance the kingdom to the glory of God. Okay? And you know what? It, it, it can be unnerving to be willing to make that sacrifice putting yourself in that vulnerable position but listen has the gospel been a blessing to you (laughs) and I desire because listen if they're exhibiting those kind of burdens you're gonna spend all of eternity with them in heaven they're your brother and sister in Christ and I'm gonna spend all of eternity with them in heaven and boy, I have the ability to lighten their load and give them more joy and give more glory to God here in this time by saying, you know what? Salvation is by grace alone. And all you need to know is about four or five verses. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Know about four. Now, you need to know more than that. Obviously, right. <laughs> but, but in this discussion, you really only need to know about four or five verses. And you can give them the opportunity. Now, they may... <laughs> You may have interacted with people. There's some people you've given them those verses and they said, no, I like my yoke on my neck and I ain't giving it up. <laughs> right? Some people are like that. I mean, they're like, I and I think we can be honest together this morning. There's some people who just want to walk around with a reason to complain. Okay? They want to have that, they want to have that Eeyore yoke around their neck just so they can keep complaining about it. Okay? So some people don't want that yoke off. <laughs> they just don't. But there's a lot of people that do. There's a lot of people that would love to be walking around without a yoke of bondage around their neck. And you have the message, if the Spirit blesses in the midst of that situation, to say, let me help you out with that yoke. Because that yoke you've been carrying around on your shoulders, Christ put that yoke on His shoulders on the cross. And His yoke now is easy, and His burden is light. And that's not your yoke to be bearing guess what Christ took that yoke and he put it on himself on the cross and he said it's finished and it's done right that's the kind of perspective that we should have you know is there a place for what Paul did here in the book of Acts and being a street preacher you know has God called us to be right in front of Kroger telling people that you know they need to come? maybe I mean I'll, I'm just going to be honest with you it is evident from the book of Acts that we are called upon to preach the gospel publicly. What does that look like in 2023? I'm not entirely positive. Love to have your feedback on that, okay? Because times are different, but, but that's not an excuse. You know, I've used that as an excuse before. Oh, times are different. Okay, Paul went to the marketplace, and you just gotta understand, in that marketplace, you had hundreds of people that were all in the same place, and there was a platform and an environment where he could preach to hundreds of people just by him posting up in the marketplace. Now, the only thing that's possibly similar to that is like Walmart or Kroger, okay? Yeah. Is that the best way for us to do that? But then we're like, oh no, we don't want to be like the rest of people that are passing out pamphlets. Well, you know what? God could use a little pamphlet, <laughs> right? If he wanted to by his spirit. So what does is, what is preaching the gospel publicly look like today? I'm not entirely positive, OK? We need to be out there. You know, what's the public marketplace? I mean, we try to put stuff out on the internet. But I think that's just an excuse to not. Uh, there's, no inter, there's no personal interaction with just putting stuff out on the internet and Facebook. And guess what? There's, there's not a lot of danger in that, really. I and mean, what are you going to do? Somebody's going to make some comment that they don't like what you posted? I mean, like, there's not a lot of real danger in that but there, there's a lot of uncomfortableness that comes with personal interaction. I want you to understand, whatever, whatever it looks like <laughs> in 2023, it is personal conversations and personal interaction. It's not just putting it out on some third part, and the Lord can use that, he does, okay? But we are called to preach the gospel publicly to those that are not baptized members of the church, and I hope by his spirit that he can give us clarity on the right way to do that today, okay? Okay, let's go highlight a few of them in the book of Acts. Obviously, where did all this start? Day of Pentecost, right? I want you to understand, there would be no such thing as the book of Acts if the original church did what we do today, and all they do is just stay up in that upper room and preach to the 120 disciples and just have good worship services every Sunday. You want to know what would happen? They'd have awesome worship for a while, and when those 120 people died, the church would die. That's what would have happened. What would happen if they only interacted with those who agree with us and are already baptized? The church would have been gone in one generation. What did they do? (laughs) I tell you, those Jews that had been walking around with that yoke of bondage around their neck, they were just so happy. They wanted to tell everybody about it. Right? They're in Acts chapter 8 where it says they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. I can just envision those Jews. Okay, well first of all, why did they even leave? Because of persecution. And then, so they're having to leave under very unfortunate circumstances. And that you remember that same conversation that I was just describing, that hypothetical conversation we were having earlier? When they, whenever they got to their new city. They probably met some Jews. And they said, Well, why are you here? Well, we joined the church. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He was he was uh resurrected from the dead. He's the Messiah we've been looking for. And they said, Well, you know, I still I still think we gotta obey the law. And and those Jews had felt the liberty of that yoke of bondage of the law coming off of their neck, and he and and as soon as they heard that, they said, <laughs> As I've heard uh, many preachers say, especially Elder Ricky Harker, I've got better news for you than that, right? You're, you're, you think that salvation is in the law? Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, who died on the cross and paid for our sins. And they were just so happy because they were in their first love. They were in the first love state. And every single Jew that they met that said, well, you know... I still think we gotta. I still think I can't eat shrimp, you know. I still think I can't eat pork, you know. Uh, if somebody picks up sticks on the Sabbath, we gotta stone them. And they said, "No, we're under grace, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to keep. Oh, we don't have to keep having the Day of Atonement every day, every every year, and 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 it off the scapegoat. We don't have to keep doing all that. Why?" because the the Passover Pascal lamb has come, you know? And don't you know that they were all just so excited (laughs) when they showed up in a new city and they had all these Jews walking around with a yoke of bondage and they said, you know what, I used to know what that bondage, that yoke of bondage felt like. Let me tell you the message that that lifted that off my neck and you want to know what happened? The other Jews said, you know what, this liberty does sound a little bit better (laughs) than walking around with this yoke of bondage and... That's how the church grew. Okay. So in Acts chapter two, preach the God. And another thing I want to highlight is the, is the focus. Okay. The focus of these messages, because um, when we preach on a Sunday and y'all know my, Paul had a manner, I've got a manner, I've got a pattern, you know, I think that, I think it's good to go through the scriptures and to exposit them verse by verse because that's how the Holy Spirit inspired them. I think that's the good general disposition of pulpit ministry. But I don't preach on Jesus Christ and Him crucified every single Sunday. Now, I've realized I don't do it enough, okay? But you know what? There's a lot more of the whole counsel of God that you need to be a well-rounded believer that we just don't preach on the same thing every Sunday. No, you need to be well-rounded. But when you interact with people outside the church, our message is simple. I want you to understand that. Our message is simple. And it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that resurrection chapter, He says, I declare unto you the gospel, which is that Jesus was He died, and he was resurrected according to the scriptures. And Paul said, I'm determined to not to know anything among you Jesus Christ and him crucified, but obviously the implication there is not just that he was crucified, but that he was resurrected, okay? And if when you look at these messages that they preach publicly, all of them have the same general theme, Jesus Christ is the son of God, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he died and he was resurrected. And he ascended up into heaven. That is the message of the gospel. So what I want you to understand, when you interact with others, the message is simple. And and it's just as simple as, by the way, some of those verses you need to jot down. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Shall bring forth a son? Shall call his name Jesus? And he shall save his people from their sins. John chapter 19 and verse 30. Jesus declared, it is finished. We're saved by grace, not by works. He came into the world with the people. He saved those people on the cross. He he died, he was resurrected, and he rose again. That's it. That's the gospel. That's what you need to know to interact with other people outside of the church. Now, when they repent and be baptized, you know, remember that over there in uh, Matthew chapter 28, you teach them, you baptize them but then you teach them all things that I have commanded you, right? You teach them, they believe, but then when they're baptized, you teach them the whole counsel of God. But those major bullet points are really all you need to know to interact with people outside of the church to expand God's kingdom. The focus is Jesus Christ as the Son of God, death, burial, and resurrection— salvation by grace alone it is finished that's the focus so what did peter preach about here in acts chapter 2 he said listen this jesus of nazareth that you crucified he is the son of god he was god and you killed him and people were pricked in the heart they said what do we need to do verse 28 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. That that extends all the way to present day today. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You know, when it says you shall receive the remission of sins, that's not when, when you're baptized, that is not when your sins are purged out before God's sight in heaven. But what happens... What's a corresponding thing with that yoke of bondage? You're walking around feeling that you are yet in your sins. Think about these children of God that all they've ever heard is I've got to pray a prayer right, and inevitably they're going to say, well, I didn't pray that prayer right. Well, they're going to, there's going to come a time where they're going to say, I think I'm not saved. In that moment, they do not feel remitted and forgiven of their sins, do they? No, they feel to be held damned. They're not. They're not. But when they profess a belief in Jesus Christ solely as the Son of God, now all of a sudden, those sins are remitted in their own mind and in their own conscience. You see? So when it says, repent and be back, and that's something that we have failed in, in the church as well, is that we do not close our sermons very often with repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. We are called upon to call people to faith and repentance. Now that's, that's reformed language, right? And we don't want to use reformed language, but that's biblical language. We are called to call people to faith and repentance. Now you put it in the right context, doesn't have anything to do with heaven, doesn't have anything to do with new birth. It has to do with your enjoyment and joy in the kingdom. But we are called to close. Uh, Y'all know I don't do that every week, you know, and we don't have an altar call. But we should close our sermons with repent and be baptized. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, because that is the pattern of preaching of the original church, okay? Then you had the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3, and Peter preaches the same sermon, the same sermon essentially. This man that you crucified is the Christ. And he was resurrected. And, and you know, there in Acts chapter 17, when he's he's in Athens, they, they always were looking for some new thing to be heard. And boy, there's nothing that's more new than somebody boldly saying that somebody was dead and now he's alive. And I'm not just saying this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, over 500 men saw him alive. So you have 500, this is not just me making stuff up. This, you've got 500 witnesses to this. 500 plus witnesses. And that was such a radical message that it really raised people's eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know if you've realized this, <laughs> but in the realm of Christianity today, election, the sovereignty of God in regeneration is a radical message. Mm-hmm. Have you ever said, told people that you believe that God chose a people before? Them? Good, well-meaning Christians are gonna say, What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Haven't you ever read John 3.16? You know, the whole spiel. But okay. I understand the message of the of the New Testament is radical, even among Christianity today. You're telling me that there is not one single condition that I have to meet to be born again. Nope. Solely by the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? Just these general conversations, your first reaction is almost 99.99999% of the time, going to be what are you talking about? And you know what? I don't really like having those conversations, right? I mean, they're a little uncomfortable, right? I don't want people looking at me and saying, oh, I believe that God chose the people before the foundation of the world. Wow, you are crazy. I don't, I don't really want to have that conversation in my nature, right? So just to understand, explaining the simple truths of Scripture Immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. Unconditional, not conditional election. Unconditional regeneration. Just those simple things are going to be a radical mess, even to believers, okay? So we just have to understand that when we say these things, people are not going to say, you know what, I've never thought about that. You're exactly right. (laughs) Now, over time they may eventually understand it. Hopefully, God's blessing by his spirit to allow it. But our first conversation is always going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Let's Let's just understand the baseline reality. The first conversation will always be uncomfortable. And we have to be comfortable with that. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Okay. But instead... We don't like to use language that looks... We want to just kind of fly under the radar instead of preaching the same message that the original church preached. I mean, we should close our messages with a call upon God's children to faith and repentance. Because that's how the original church preached. But we don't want to look like everybody else so we don't do it. Okay? Now what happened when they preached boldly And he called them to faith and repentance. People were pricked in the heart. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men joined the church. 5,000 men. Now, there's always persecution that comes along with it. We've been seeing that, right? Okay, let's just go ahead. We're going to have to skip a whole bunch. And I want to highlight a couple of them in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, as his manner was, he went unto them in three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them. You know, Paul he appears to be so bold but then at the same time in Corinth he said I was before you in fear and in much tremble you know it wasn't all that easy for him either but he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to do it anyway but am I going to naturally go into what I know to be enemy territory that every single one of those Jews in that synagogue are immediately at least when I start talking are going to scoff at what I have to say Now, by the end of it, we hope the Holy Spirit touches them, all right? But his manner was to go into enemy territory and declare the gospel. And when we say enemy territory, it's not not hyperbole. Those Jews were the ones who wanted to kill him and tried to stone him. But there were also people in that assembly that, that their heart was touched and they believed. And Paul said, I'm willing to... Endure all things for the elect's sake. I'm willing to be stoned because I know there's some children of God in there that are really looking. Everywhere he went. <clears throat> Preached the gospel publicly. And what was his focus, by the way? Verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, risen from the dead, and this Christ whom I preach unto you is Christ. That anno- Christ means anointed. That means he's the son of God. Okay? So what he's saying here is that you Jews are looking for the Messiah. He has come. He has been resurrected. Some people believed. Some people hated him. Some people tried to kill him. In Acts chapter 18, same thing. Goes into the synagogue. Goes into enemy territory. Preaches the gospel. Some people believe. Some people persecute The latter half of Acts 17 is when he's in Athens. And this is probably the one that is the most public, the marketplace here. Acts chapter 17 and verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market every day. Every single day. Every day he showed up in the marketplace and preached about Jesus of Nazareth being resurrected from the dead. He showed up every single day to preach that publicly. And then in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, he's preaching it. He, he, he has an a, uh, adjunct fellowship in the school of Tyrannus. And within two years, everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Everybody, everybody in Asia by his bold preaching of the gospel. And then you find a little bit later on in those chapters that he's putting the temple of Diana out of business. He's putting the graven image industry out of business. That's some of that dynamite power of the gospel. And this wasn't... This wasn't hundreds of people these were two folks three Luke tagged along on a couple of these these were a couple people showing up and just having the boldness and the courage through the Holy Spirit to openly preach the gospel and look what God did with it right look what God did with it by their willingness to do that and that's why we need to be as the church in Acts chapter 4 when they encounter that first persecution they're thrown in prison and they get out of prison and they, get, they come immediately back to the church and they didn't say man, the food was bad in prison, man it was horrible being in prison for two days, they said we need to pray for God, to God for boldness for us to preach the word and you want to know what God did? He gave them boldness to preach the word and multitudes were added to the church. And I and I'm so timid to my shame in my nature. I pray that God would give the ministry boldness to set the tone that you can follow. <laughs> now you're supposed to follow us, okay? We set the example, but we can't expect you to do something that I'm unwilling to do. I have to set the tone. The ministry has to set the tone. And we're really only going to do it by the boldness of the Holy Spirit, right? Because even Paul, in his nature, I was before you in fear and in much trembling, right? There in Corinth, that same city, God came to him and he eventually said, I have much people in this city. But he started out by saying, be not afraid. You know what that meant? Paul's afraid. Paul's afraid of doing it. You know, it wasn't easy for him either. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's blessed to do that. And we pray God would give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to, to honor him by we, by being willing to do that as well. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia pbc.org.